Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved like all of my guests are is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, I am going to be interviewing Mike Shatinsky. Mike is the secretary of the board of directors for MAG-7 Pit Services. We're going to talk about MAG-7, which was founded in 1967. It's a band of brothers and sisters united by their love of off-road racing, Baja, and each other. So we'll go into the whole aspect of, you know, their 501c7 and how the pits work and all that kind of stuff in the history. But first, we're going to talk to Mike about his history and how he got involved with MAG-7. Mike, thank you so much for spending some time and uh, agreeing to come and talk to me. Rich, well, it's great to talk to you about this. And I just love off-road racing and my off-road family and getting a chance to talk about my family is, um, it, it, uh, well, I, it, it's exciting. Excellent. Let's start off with talking about you and where did you grow up and a little bit about your background, um, schooling, and then that kind of stuff. Well, I, I grew up in Los Angeles, and um, I've, I've always sort of had off-roading and driving out in the desert in in my heart. I started going out in the desert when I was in high school. And um, so I went to Loyola High School in downtown L.A. Um, I graduated and then went to the Naval Academy for four years and then spent eight years on active duty. And after that, I went into the reserves uh, and spent 25 years in the reserves and ultimately retired as a two-star Navy Admiral. And I was a ship driver in the Navy. Um, nothing nothing to do with vehicles, uh, although I did, a, I did everything from small, fast boats with automatic weapons, patrol boats to battleships and spent a lot of time on on land in the coast, especially as a reservist, um, I, I, I wasn't a, a driver. Did spend some time in the desert, but uh, the driver of land vehicles. But um, anyway, segueing back to my background, uh, when I when I graduated from the Naval Academy and bought my first vehicle, I bought a Toyota four x four pickup truck. And uh, my introduction to off road racing was when I went down to Baja to do some exploring and was on a drive to Mike's Sky Ranch and uh, couldn't understand why all these vehicles kept going by me really fast in the wrong direction. 
Um, turns out I was heading to Mike Sky Ranch uh, on, on a pre-run weekend before a Baja 500, and um, I was the knucklehead going the wrong way. But I had always heard about the 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 the, the Mexican 1000, the Baja 1000, and 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 things down there, and that that's what got me south of the border and off-roading. And and uh, once I saw that happen, and that was that was in the very early 80s, um, I decided I wanted to go racing and. Built a class eleven bug and did my first off road race in a score Baja five hundred in nineteen eighty five and in a class eleven ever since class eleven and it was pretty much a stock Volkswagen back in that day the kidney busters oh my goodness and uh, I only did three of those two Baja five hundreds and a Baja one thousand made it halfway for through through all three of those in eighty five and eighty six and um, decided I needed to do something to drive in something that was a little, little easier to maintain and a little more comfortable. So I, I moved up to class nine, which, uh, which, which, <laughs> which something which, boy, that was more a, comfortable. Really? <laughs> exactly. All you did was stretch yeah. the wheelbase a little bit. <laughs> right. I got a whole six inches of travel in the front and up to nine in the rear, depending on how I set it up. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, but I've just, I've loved it, uh, since then. And, and, and a bit more about my background besides the Navy background. I'm, um, I had a, a job in the real job in the civilian world. Um, after I got out, I ended up going to work for the Los Angeles County Sanitation District. So I'm a, I have a civil engineering master's from the from the uh, from Loyola Marymount University. I have a mechanical engineer license based on my undergraduate degree from the Naval Academy and my work in the Navy. But I worked in uh, energy recovery at the sanitation districts and ended up retiring from there. Wait, 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 uh, wait! About the same time. I, I have to ask, yeah. sanitation department. And you said it was energy recovery? Yes. Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, so it was actually not the sanitation department. It was a Los Angeles County Sanitation District. So okay. we're, we're, we're a, we do sewage and garbage in the greater Los Angeles area, uh, but not the city of Los Angeles. But uh, believe it or not, the L.A. County Sanitation Districts, are the tenth largest energy producer in the state of California, and all that energy is uh, is is made from um, typically methane gas or raw garbage. Um, you know, the methane gas which comes off of landfills uh, with decomposing garbage or sewage treatment plants, decomposing poop, and that's methane gas. It's flammable, and and putting that in a boiler or a turbine or whatever is an energy source and you can make electricity. So um, I I took my Navy experience and education and was able to hire into the the brand new renewable energy group at the uh, sanitation districts in the the 87 and uh, worked on the operations side um, for a decade or so before I moved up to bigger things at the sanitation. So we we can say Basically, from poop deck to um, <laughs> to poop to poop plant. There you go. Yeah. Poop deck to poop plant. All right. Well, well actually, poop. There's uh, it's uh, quite literally. It could have been a poop deck in both both organizations. But um, yeah, yeah, uh, it was quite a transition. So who would have thought? Yeah, um, I always wondered where that 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 term poop deck came from. And then um, I, I have a boat that we live on in the wintertime down in Corpus Christi area. And in Port Aransas is where our marina's at. But there's the Lexington is there in Corpus Christi as Mm -hmm. a museum. And when I did the tour of the Lexington, the aircraft carrier, I 
we walked out there and it said like, welcome to the poop deck. And literally, um, now I know why they call it the poop deck. You know, it's the back of the boat. And, you know, I mean, in the old days before there were probably, you know, toilets on boats um, or on ships, you know, back in the, the time of the, the Royal Navy and the early American Navy, you know, that, that deck area back there was was probably the area that uh, where they took care of business, you might say. Yep. Yep, I think we all learn early in life you you don't uh, you don't uh, relieve yourself into the wind. You <laughs> certainly want to be somewhere aft where it's not as windy. Yeah, not off the bow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not good for you or your shipmates. True. Okay, but, I got side got a sidetracked there. Sorry oh, about that. <laughs> no, no, no worries. I could I could talk navy all day too, and and, and nautical things too. But uh, uh, yeah, we can we can also get into discussion as why I was a rear admiral as a two star admiral. Um, a lot of this we can attribute to the British Navy and the, the customs and traditions and the verbiage that came from there. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we 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 inherited it. We we live it. We uh, may not understand it, but but it works. Right, and and as long as the people that are that are in it and running it understand it, that's that's truly the the biggest thing, I guess. Exactly. Um, oh, it's funny talking to people about Navy or nautical things versus off-road things. It's almost like we're speaking a different language. It gets back to what I love about this is the off-road community is my family. It's another family for me. You know, I've got my biological family and my, my, my and my, of course, the chosen part of that biological family, my, my wife and, and all that. But, um, you know, the off-road family is one, one of those earned families, like a military family, and um, I, I love that. But we have our own language, and we talk all day about, uh, you know, Baja 1000 and, and whoops and these sorts of things, and people will look at us and wonder what the hell we're talking about. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's our family. It's how we talk. So true. So true. And, uh, you know, the, the, the language changes with each, with each designated family. It, it does. It does. We could be speaking Martian as far as some people are concerned. So back to your background um, with the sanitation department. Districts. Um, districts. Districts. There you go. And uh, you were racing. You were racing and then working there. Go ahead and take off from there. Well, okay. <clears throat> so the, in 1987, I left active duty and um, – I had raced in those first three races as a, well, I was in the, in the military, I actually had a, a, a shore based job and it gave me the time to, to go race. And, and I realized if I was going to put all the work into going racing, I would just as soon uh, race in something that was worth the effort that for the time. So I figured, well, there's nothing longer or more involved than a Baja 1000 or a, Baja 500. Back then, I guess it was called the Baja. Inter- I remember it being called the Baja International because of that transition between Nora and Score. But um, so I might as well race in those. And I, of course, love going to Baja too. So that that just was the icing on the cake. So did those three races and then um, got out of the Navy, stayed in the reserves, which was then a big part of my life for 25 years after that. And the Sanitation District was very understanding about me making that commitment and and doing the things that the Navy and the the country asked me to do over the years. But um, my deal with my wife 
and family was that, well, I love doing this. I want to keep doing the off-road racing part of it. So I would, I would race once a year in a Baja 500 or a Baja 1000 or when the Nora races came aboard, came up, I, I started doing the, the, I did the 2010 Nora Mexican 1000 and just have fallen in love with that series also. But I've just kept it in my life and I've, I've raced, uh, um, other than when, when other things on my life took, took me away from it. And, and there was a period of time around just before and after 911 where I really didn't do a lot of off-roading and off-road racing because I was busy doing other things, um, on service of my country. Um, but I pretty much have been down there either, either in Baja, either racing or chasing or pitting, um, since then. And I've been a part of a pit organization since, since the eighties when I joined, uh, a group called, uh, um, the Chapala dusters and did a quick transition to fair. Another one called the first Association of independent racers or fair for a couple of years. And then ended up in the, in mag seven, magnificent seven uh, race team over the years so it's just this the the off-road community whether it's racing or pitting has been something that's been a, a big part of my life and, and a really enjoyable part of my life and a fulfilling part of my life for gosh i guess since uh since the mid 80s so a couple of, four decades four decades plus wow that's awesome so then let's talk about let's let's drop into mag seven a bit and it was like you said it was founded in 1967 do you know who those founding members were um you know i don't have the names in front of me and there are a few of them alive and i would like to get uh get a, get them interviewed and, and somehow figure out how to do that they're in their 90s right now okay uh there's one very active member a jerry jerry um Oh God, Kruckheimer. Uh, Got to get the name right. And um, he's he's uh, he's local and quite quite uh, active still when he can. Um, but um, I'm going to get the name right. Give me a second here. No worries. Uh, J- Jerry McMurray. Jerry McMurray. Um, not crash. Not crash. Kruckmeyer. We we lost him uh, recently. But um, anyway. Um, uh, some of them are uh, still somewhat active in Los Anciones Motorcycle Club. By the way, it's another another small nonprofit organization that just races once a year. It's really uh, um, uh, it, it they go back to the roots of our off road racing, also. But um, I uh, a question here. Um... You mentioned the name Mag Seven, Magnificent Seven, which I understand was um, taken from the movie that Steve McQueen did with Yul Brenner and a number of other stars um, about Mexico and the Americans or a group of individuals going down there and saving a village. That's what Mag Magnificent Seven, the movie, was about, based off of. Oh, a Japanese movie, The Seven Samurai, and there's others that have done the same thing. Kind of a genre. Is that is that is that correct? Is that what uh, how you know how the name came about? That that is true, and so there are there are there is the truth, and there is the embellishments of the truth, or the things that we hear that we don't know are true. But 
Um, and I'm trying to compile the history right now and interview some of these age, aging members to to get the details. And and I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. And I'm starting to post pictures and things on the Ormhoff website. But going back to the origins of the name, um, yes, even Steve McQueen was a member of Mag Seven back in the day. And I we have a picture of the Baja boot with a Mag Seven race team logo on the side of it, painted in gold paint. Uh, actually, fills the the bottom uh, panel of of his the Baja boot uh, in its in its day, uh, which is pretty cool to see. So the 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 legend is the legend part of it is that the original seven on Mag Seven were all stuntmen from Hollywood, and um, I I've confirmed that that's not true. That all seven were not stuntmen in Hollywood, but uh, they were all sort of pioneers in the sport guys guys that loved going down and doing this and and. Uh, and, and decided to formalize the organization uh, in, in later years. We didn't actually become a nonprofit in, uh, until, oh, a decade and a half ago. Uh, but before that, we were more, I, I, I'm not even sure what our formal designation was, but we didn't have the actual nonprofit designation until uh, about just after the, about 2000. Okay, excellent. And with uh, about how many members are there now? I know it's probably a hard pressed number, but say how many active members are there now? Or, or maybe a better question is say for a Baja 1000, not a loop race, but a point to point, how many pits and how many people in each, uh, approximately in each pit crew? That kind of gets well, us to a close number, right? Yes, yes. So we have uh, around 40 active members that, that participate in, in meetings and such. Our board of directors meet monthly, and we have members' meetings um, at a minimum of once a year, but usually more often. Um, th there are about 250 people that are regularly associated with us that go down, and they're not formally members. They're, they're they're, they're not dues-paying members, but go down and wear the T-shirts and are part of the organization as a, as a candidate member, you know, informally for our, our, our doctorate, our, doc, our charter and bylaws. They're members while they're down there. They're sort of, uh, they may someday become a member if they want to and, and act, actively participate. So there's about 250 people that routinely go down that are sort of on the call list and if t as time, as time, tide information permits, they'll come come down and, and participate in the races, and then we get new people that cycle in, just just to do it. So uh, I I bring bets down to my pits, um, and I'm I'm going to answer your question about how many people are in a pit uh, in a moment. But um, I when I go to a pit, um, I will typically take uh, three or four people with me as sort of a minimum for the pit. Um, and sometimes as many as oh, eight or 10, depending on what we're doing and where we're going. Um, and uh, it, the, the sort of the minimum, I would say, is, is uh, it, and some of those vets, by the way, may come down as just a bucket list thing. I've actually had a couple from Canada that's come down for three races to do the Baja 1000 with me because they like spending time in Baja in the winter. So they'll come down with me and pit for the, the, uh, the November Baja 1000 and then stay around for a while. Um, so it's it's a mix of of you know the hardcore members and many of them are pit captains uh, and that's about forty. Um, the, then the others that will show up 
periodically once or twice a year maybe and then uh, and, and just work in the pits and then finally the people that show up and, and want to do a bucket list thing or find out whether this is something they really want to be involved in for the long term so pit could be as few as three or four people depending on where you are and what you're doing and it could be as many as eight or ten and um it just depends on the race and how busy you're going to be is it's how many people you pull out. And, you know, I like to do the very remote pits, which means that I'm sort of limited to two trucks and, and, and a small trailer to get all the fuel and stuff out there. And that, that limits the people I take to four to six. And uh, with four people, you can, you can, you can be very busy. We'll, we'll typically be up all night working on it's never the races are never daylight races are usually usually they extend into the night so for the for the long course desert races so we'll uh we'll pretty much be up all night and, and we've just got a nice rhythm where one of us at my right hand man a guy named curtis wagner who's been going down with me doing pits for just about as long as i've been doing pits um he, he loves to cook in the desert so he'll cook us breakfast, lunch, dinner, some an evening thing around midnight in the Navy, we would call that mid rats and, and just keeps us fed and, and happy. And then uh, we'll take na- naps as we can to keep going. But, um, you know, we're there to support the racers and have fun and be part of it. And it's, uh, it's just part of what, what you do. And what would you say is the, uh, the minimum age, the youngest? Um, we, there are, uh, folks that are doing this, that have been doing this since they were kids and they went down with their parents. Uh, our equipment director uh, right now, Brian Walsh, um, his dad was was one of the early MAG-7 members. Not He's not MAG-7 number one through seven, but he's probably like MAG-7 number 15 or something like that. Um, his dad took him and his brother down when they were they were kids and they, they would help in the pits, you know, not, not doing the more difficult things like dumping fuel and what have you, but they would be part of what was going on. And, and they're still doing it today. Um, Brian and Kevin Walsh, um, they, uh, typically though, if somebody's too young, I mean, the, the pit captains will make the call about who does what in the pit. You know, they're, they're, they're the most experienced individuals in our organization and they've, all of our pit captains have been doing this for a long time and have done a lot of races. But um, for, on, on, for me, if if somebody's a minor, I'm not going to have them in the pit area, the active working pit area. They can be on the outskirts and they can do things to support us. And it just depends on uh, the chat. The, and it's not certainly not going to be anything that's that's inherently dangerous. And, of course, mom right. and dad would be alone, too. No, somebody that's a minor is not coming down without mom or dad. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I... I, I would actively discourage anybody from bringing, I, I, I don't, I will not bring anybody down. That's not, um, you know, certainly in high school and or older and with mom and da- mom and dad. Right. Okay. So. Yep. Fair enough. I, I, I completely understand that. I, I have, uh, my first time to a Baja 1000 was working with BFG pits and my son and I went down and it was 2003 when they were filming Dust of Glory. Oh boy! And that was that was quite an experience. The amount of time yeah. we were up, the but I mean, really regimented. And I understand why. And I at first I didn't, I didn't grasp the the whole regimentation until until I until I saw the whole thing in operation, especially mm-hmm. with 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 the way. 
BFG does things. And it's just, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's almost like an invasion, <laughs> I guess, you know, because, <laughs> uh, with all the different people that are coming down there with the, you know, the semi trucks and what it takes to get those things through. And then the, the backup trucks that are, or the box trucks like I drove that are full of tires or empty, cha- you know, uh, fuel cans from different teams, you know, it was, uh, and then having to mix them all up in the truck, you know, so that you didn't have full sets of tires or everything all together. So when you got stopped, um, you know, at the, at the checkpoints that, uh, you know, it was, it was quite the operation. And now I know why they were so regimented because they had so many people going down under that, that corporate umbrella Mm -hmm. and, uh, going down, it's a lot different than going down as a spectator with just uh, a couple of friends, you know, that's, and, and I don't know how tight you guys run the ship, but I would imagine it's, uh, it's, probably not the same as having big semi trucks going down but uh you know you guys have been doing it for a long time so i'm sure there's some organization involved oh absolutely and i take great pleasure in that i I, there's a there's a couple things i learned in the military you know behind between every one person out on the front line uh there's there's nine people behind them in the u.s military the logistics is what makes us successful um if you don't have your logistics right you're you're just not going to be successful as a an american warrior and um, this, this in a sense, you use the term invasion, but but it's 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 pretty much like an expeditionary uh, an expeditionary event in the in the military, where from from you know whether it's BFG at the scale they do things, uh, we're we're not that scale, but you would be probably really ple- pleasantly surprised you know, to see what how we do things. It's it's just as organized, and and we have all the capabilities, but at a, a smaller level. Uh, we we won't break a tire with a machine. We'll have to do it the old-fashioned way. And if we have to if we have to change a tire for you or patch a tire, but um, and it is way easier with a motorcycle as compared to a, a buggy. But we could we we do those sorts of things. So when when I go down, um, I'll give you an example. Like my ideal is a very remote pit, um, something that would require off-roading to get to. Uh, just because I if I'm going to go down there, I want to do something um, that that's really a, a great experience. Uh, but I'll take my four-wheel drive F250, and I'll have a small, a small single-axle trailer that's an off-road trailer, and um, I have generator, lights, um, uh, battery-powered tools, air, air, air tools, and, and enough uh, fuel. And and I've I've taken down up to twelve drums of fuel out into the middle of nowhere, and it's quite quite an expedition. Um, but we get down there and we find the location that's the right location. And it's a lot easier now that we have satellite views of things. And, you know, the, 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 the race promoters now give you, um, you know, Google maps, for example, or, or Google earth maps that we can, we can actually fly the course and pick our pit locations better. Um, sometimes we'll even have free runners come back and say, Hey, this is the great spot where you should be over here. It looks like the one, the place to be. You know, but we get out there, we find the right spot, make sure we're going to be upwind from the race course. We don't need dust all night. Um, set up our, our, our truck, our trailers, uh, set up our cones, set up our signs, set up the lights in the generator, uh, get everything staged. We do things uh, when we set up pits, like place the, the, the fuel cans on the inlet side of the pit. So if somebody blows the turn coming into the pit and, the, and comes in too hot, they won't run into a bunch of fuel cans. Maybe place the tires on the 
the outlet side, even though it doesn't make the most sense, but on the outlet side. So it's a little bit of a safety barrier also. And it's, it's, uh, but we'll have them staged over there, stage a generator. Oh gosh, if 20 yards away, 30 yards away. So there's less, less noise, less, less chance of fumes and things bothering us. Uh, and then, uh, set up our easy ups and such. And, um, and, and get ourselves staged uh, and ready to go for the race to start. And, uh, you know, really probably the number one thing we do when we get out to these locations in the middle of nowhere is get radio comms up. Um, we always set up a, a, in the day, it used to be a Ringo Ranger antenna, these big long range antennas and put it on the top of, of a, of a, of a 15, 20 foot pole. So we, we can reach the weatherman up on the mountain and, um, and be able to talk through the race. And I think that's one of the things I've always taken great pride at and all my bank seven brothers and sisters who are pit captains is that we, we, we tend to be the ones on, on the weatherman frequency that the weatherman can talk to, to get statuses and, and uh, we can give statuses and, and be uh, truly integrated into what's going on. Even though we're in the middle of nowhere, we, we have a situational awareness and are able to figure things out. It is a little different now with, uh, with, with satellite communications and all that. And, and the last few times I've been out there, it's been kind of uh, crucial to be up on a, a Garmin reach or the the the, the Zaleo and and be texting with the weatherman instead of instead of doing uh, instead of doing radio comms or supplementing the radio comms with that because plenty of racers still do the, use radios and for the racers, uh, radios can be uh, it, it's the way you, it's, it's the way you talk you, you communicate out in the middle of nowhere right for, especially for the the, the less well-funded teams. So anyway, that, that's like a snapshot of kind of how we do it. It's very much like the BFG pits, but only on a much smaller, smaller magnitude and smaller. And, and, uh, but it's, but um, we, we get it done and have fun doing it. And we've been doing it safely also for, for all these years too, which I think is an, a really important part about what we do. Absolutely. And, and safety down there is, is, is very very important. Um, I've seen just some horrific things happen down there mm-hmm. during you know before the races, during the races, and unfortunately after the races. And it's uh, I just wish more people would you know the the, the thing that Baja ba- uh, Baja Bob Bauer wrote. Um, oh, you yeah. know, don't let it be you type thing, or you know that that is just. That should be in everybody's pit book um, before they before they head to to Mexico. Um, well, believe believe it or not, that's you. That that is in most of the pit books we put together. Without will end up being in there, and, and it certainly is in the race books I put together for the the teams I race with to, nowadays, which which are mostly veterans. We're talking Max Seven right now, but I do I do race and even get in the vehicle and drive a bit every now and then. But it's it's all about racing with veterans and getting them out there to be part of this family since they typically are missing their military family, sometimes really, really missing their military family. So, um, yeah, it, it's dangerous. I think that's part of the appeal of it though, too, is that it's, it's as, as much as I used to go down to Baja and, and think to myself, Oh, it's not going to be the same. And you know, in 10 years, it's going to be different or 20 years, it'll be different. There's still, it still has a, that, that old, that wild West sort of flavor where you really are um, out on an edge and um, doing something that's really, really extraordinarily difficult, um, and and you you have to do it right. I mean, that's on a personal level. That's that's what I've 
found so rewarding about this is it's if it was easy anybody would be doing it but going out there and doing it and then doing it well that's that's really rewarding i find that really really rewarding yeah i i kind of uh i kind of associate it with baja mexico docks and what i mean by that is that you see old mexico Baja dogs are extremely intelligent. They'll walk out to the edge of the road. They look both directions. You know, they 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 know they may get hit. The young dogs go the stupid ones, I guess you could call them, <laughs> go screaming across the roads and have no care in the world. Mm-hmm. The the old dogs are the ones that are the smartest. They figured it out. And I think that the same thing happens in Mexico in Baja is you get you get people going down there and the people that have been there over and over and over and over have the smarts. They yes. they know what to they're not you know you're you're never complacent. Um you know your your head's always on a swivel. Um you're always looking out for you and yourself, yourself and and those with you, because you know it is still the Wild West mm-hmm, mm-hmm. compared to the United States, and so that you you know you need to you need to be that way. The ones that that run around and you know aren't paying attention are the ones that end up uh, you know something unfortunate happens to them. Whether it's you know we had a kid with us one time go and try to get money out of a out of an ATM and God is, you know, he got swindled and lost all of his money. And, you know, we had warned him, but he didn't listen. He didn't pay attention. He wasn't, he didn't Mm -hmm. do it the right way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we warned, we warned him and, you know, he came back and he was all upset and it was like, okay, well, we'll make sure that you can get home, you know, and stuff. But uh, he never came back down again. And I and I'll bet that he's telling everybody, man, I would never go back there. Be careful. Where the rest of us are, like you know, we can't wait to go back. Right, right. I, uh, I, I, I look at what we do in Mag Seven and Profit Racing in general. It's almost like a special forces organization that they tend to be very. Um, they're 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 self selecting in what they do. You you have to not only decide to do it and 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 be able to to get yourself persist and make make the qualification for that special forces organization but you know the the special forces members themselves are part of the screening process to make sure you're really the right fit for what you do so you know the story you just gave about the young man that went down and just kind of deselected himself from the process uh, on the flip side too when i take somebody down to pit with me um you know, they, they've got to make the cut where they want to go down, and it means a lot to them, and they're going to have to prep appropriately. But when they get down there, if they don't really make the – if they'd rather sit around and talk uh, and then work on a vehicle when we've got all this activity going on in the pit, then they're probably not the right fit to keep coming down with us. You know, like We gave them a shot and tried out, and they just didn't quite make the cut. So MAG-7 is quite a uh, – there aren't, aren't a lot of things in life that are like that anymore either i don't think you know life life can be pretty pretty benign if you just want to stay home and make, make you know live live a live a normal life but it those of us that go down and especially down to baja to go racing it, it it's, we're just doing it 
we're doing something different and exciting and difficult and and that it's really not for everybody and whether they realize it or not it's it's just not for everybody and it's certainly to, to do well at it too is something that's um even even more difficult right it's not for those that are used to participation trophies yes exactly exactly well i've always i've always loved when I raced class nine, it was kind of in the heyday of class nine, which is the went from being a, called the challenger class to class nine. And we would end up with 20, 20 or more vehicles in, in class nine buggies. So, and, and that, for those that don't know, class nine was really pretty much a stock Volkswagen, it was stock Volkswagen components uh, put on a Volkswagen wheelbase for size frame so you and it was not the best components it was a ball joint front bent front end not a kingpin front end and a, and a swing arm rear end not, a, not an irs rear end if you wanted to do that you'd step up to one two sixteen hundred and you could have better things to race in so it was very much an e- equalizer class you know you you ran with a, a, st- a stock motor it could be built to a degree but you ran with a stock motor and you ran with the the built transmission, but it was only a swing arm transmission. There's only so many things you can do. You could use stock components to build it. So it was very much an everyman class. It was moderately affordable, and 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 everybody ran with the same, relatively the same vehicle. But to do well in it, it just it just really uh, to, to me was was uh, figuring out how to do well in it was was a challenge. And I and, and me and I think all the other people that were a little more experienced at class nine. You know, I loved having a big class, but honestly, half the people out there had never done it before and and really weren't quite prepared to do it. But at least they were figuring out that they, they, made, they made the effort to get out there trying to find out if this was right for them. And they actually did, gave it a shot. They may not come back. And some of them came back and kept doing really, really well at it. But I love that about Baja from a racing perspective. Um, today, by the way, I think the UTV class is the new everyman classes you know there's there's different levels of utv racing but it's really cool to see people finding something that's affordable that they can take out and then go racing and they can be part of this adventure and uh heck a third of the entries for the for the upcoming baja 500 are, are utvs and it's pretty that's pretty typical of the races that i'm seeing now is from a mag 7 perspective about a third of the racers whether it's the mint 400 or the score races or the nora races it's utvs that are out there in there that's the future of racing. That's the future of desert racing. It is because where else can somebody go, you know, buy a potential race car, you know, on terms and, you know, get yep. a bank loan for it. Yep. 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 It's crazy. Not that, not, not that that's the best way to do things on credit cards, but we can do that now. <laughs> we can do that now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, and then you can find out whether it's really right for you. Can you, you know, um, just getting out there and giving it a shot. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're shifting our focus in Mag Seven too. I, uh, back to back to pit organizations. When I joined Chapala Dusters, and that would have been the the mid you know, late late eighties, um, these these different pit organizations were out there, and there were a dozen or so. Uh, they, they had personalities, and and you and I shopped around to find one that that was that was right for me. And Chapala Dusters was very much Volkswagen based, buggy oriented. Um, part of the buy-in to join the club was that you had to to, uh, to, to donate to the club a front and a rear wheel, um, five lug wheel that would fit a Volkswagen style vehicle. So most of us were twelve cars, ten cars, nine cars, one two sixteen hundred vehicles, uh, Baja bugs. <clears throat> so we 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 had a lot in common. If you 
we all we knew that if we went to a pit that was by that organization, it probably was manned by people that raced and worked on vehicles like the ones we're in. Um, every pit it would have a handful of Volkswagen based wheels in it, and you, you knew to work on your vehicle if you pulled in if you had a Volkswagen based vehicle. But um, so they all had personalities, and they've slowly all died away over the years. And honestly, the only one that's left now is of the original groups are. Um, us and Mag Seven, the only ones that are actively out there. I know che- Checkers is still alive, and the, they they go out and support some of their own vehicles every one for some of the races. If a Checker race, I know they show up and do it. But we're really the uh, the last one that's out there and 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 really doing it doing it for for the love of doing it. We're we are a five hundred one c seven nonprofit, and we're all volunteers, and nobody gets paid. And and um, if if anybody gives us money to be out there doing it. Um, uh, for Mag Seven, number one, they're joining as an associate member because we support members and other Mag Seven members. But number two is that all that money goes to to uh, to, to to making this work for them. We uh, we we as much as I love it, um, it, it I do appreciate that I'm getting uh, money for gasoline so I can get out there in the middle of nowhere and and some money to to support the people I'm taking out to buy them food and and uh, and water and such. Um, so the money all goes back into the club, we, even to the point where we have gear that our pit captains can check out, full pit sets of gear, and they don't have to have all their own gear and keep it in a garage or something. They can check it out of our our warehouse, which is an RV trailer in somebody's yard, but we call it our warehouse. Um, we've got pit sets of gear that that, that uh, our pit captains can use in their pits. So it's, uh, it's part of what we do as a club. I guess I, guess I would give you a parallel uh, we're we're a we're a five hundred one c seven fraternal organization, which is a lot like uh, the other brotherhoods, sisterhoods you'll see out there, like the Shriners or uh, Elks, the or Lions, the, yeah. the Elks, the Lions. Except I guess compared to the Shriners, we don't put on funny little fez hats and drive little <laughs> but but go karts and parades. We like to go out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and stay up all night and and uh, wrench on vehicles and dump gas and things like that. So. We have our own odd thing that we do, and most a lot of people wouldn't understand that. But that's that's really formally what we are. We're a five hundred one c seven fraternal organization per the IRS code, right? And the the funds that come in are um, from racer um, <clears throat> fees to to be part of the pits, or can anybody just? I know anybody can just pull in, but to take down fuel for and fuel people and that kind of thing, you have. Um, they become associate members to do that. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. And, and yes. So we offer people two levels of membership or two levels of service. We'll, we'll say, um, after they join and, and they want to go racing with us. Uh, one is emergency service, which just means we're there for you. You, you want to, you're, you know, if, if you're the, the Ironman motorcyclist and you're trying to finish it, you know that you're going to pull into our pit and we'll have, water a place for you to sit in a chair food and you can uh, you can feel yourself as you're moving down the course or you're you're in a four-wheeled vehicle and you need to get fixed we also carry spare parts in our our boxes like uh, we have standard loadouts for spare parts boxes and which includes motorcycle tubes and tools to to change motorcycle uh fix motorcycle tires but um or forward vehicle if you just if you need to pull in and get some water or if you need something fixed we have welders and uh, and the lights to, to use to work on your vehicle in the middle of the night and, and at least get you to the next stop uh, if, if it, even if it takes a 
we, we aren't going to necessarily be able to fix you to get you to the end of the race. We can certainly try, but we're going to, we're going to, even if it takes us a, a, a come along, a strap, a strap and a block of wood, we're going to get you back together so you can get to the highway and get some help there. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so two levels of service are emergency service and then full service. I mean, we're going to haul fuel out there and be for you to fuel, be there for you for fueling. And um, typically the charge has been a, for the racers about a dollar per mile for the race to provide the service. And, and if it's emergency service, it's about half that. Um, we, that, that isn't enough to really let us do what we do. You know, if you do the math and you look at the, the amount of people that sign up, sponsorship is, is huge. And um, we, we haven't been doing a really good job of selling ourselves to sponsors, honestly. Um, and we're, we're going to, be doing better at that here in the future we do have a new website if anybody wants to learn more about us it's actually pretty pretty uh pretty 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 nice website um it's a uh, mag7 desert pit services.org um, that .org means we're a nonprofit, not a not a, a business a .com so mag7 desert pit services.org and uh, there's a little bit of our history there um, a bit about what we do for racers, a bit about what we can do for sponsors, how to become a sponsor, and then, then a members members aspect also. Excellent. What is the, do you think, the primary drive? Is it the love of Baja? Is it the, the family aspect of being in an organization with a <clears throat> lot of like-minded people? Um, what do you think is the is the big drive for people that are involved with MAG-7? You know, it, it is a fraternal organization. Um, it's a social club in a sense. Um, and we've always called ourselves a brotherhood. And honestly, we have, we've always had women involved and, and we, we now talk about, about ourselves as being brothers and sisters and, and rather than just the, the generic term brotherhood. But it's, it, it is a number of things. It's the, the love of Baja because you don't keep going back to Baja unless you love doing it. And it's whether it's, whether it's that wild west sense of things or the, the challenge of getting things done in an environment like that, you know, why do, why do bunny rabbits run across the road in front of vehicles with headlights in the middle of the night? I don't know. Why do we go down to Baja and do these incredibly difficult things? I can't explain it, but it's just something in me that causes me to want to go do that. And a lot of people like me to want to go do that. So that's part of it. But really, really, it's that family um, part, I think, that that makes it more important, most important uh, for us. You know, you, you don't do these things alone, whether you race or chase or do a pit down in Baja. You don't do it alone. Um, in my the military side of the, of what I do, I very, very much have looked at the Navy as my family. My wife, you know, will kid at me and say that other woman I'm married to the U S Navy. <laughs> um, it, it, you, you have, you earn a family in the Navy or in the military and it's, it's just different. It's not like your biological family you earn it. You may not, you may very much dislike that person that's next to you in in that foxhole or on that ship uh, in the bunk next to you on the ship. But the bottom line is that's, that's a person that you're going to, you're gonna you're gonna give your life for if need be. Um, it's just it's just the way it is, and you know that they're gonna do the same thing. You just have to have that trust, and you um, in them, and you train together, and you just know you're all good at it, and you're gonna do well together. And it just it's that same feeling, that same sense that I get in the military of, of family I have in the off road community. Um, 
this this is kind of an aside to this, but I'm very actively involved in a number of nonprofits. I'm chairman of the board of the the U.S. the, the Battleship Iowa Museum up in Los Angeles, and I'm chairman of a small nonprofit called Warfighter Made in Temecula. Um, that's um, but both of them have a very strong veteran support component. Um, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, we lose 22 vets a day to suicide because they they they've lost a sense of purpose and they've lost that military family. And as much as we all, most of us have a good biological family and a good, a good family here in the States, you know, the traditional family that we we've got that earned family is an incredibly powerful family. And uh, one of the things I push very much so with the veteran organizations I'm involved in is that I want them to be, to find that other family, that family to replace the military family, to give them somewhere to go so they don't go into that dark place where they don't feel they have a purpose or a family that loves them enough that they're not contributing back to a family. And um, I found that the off-road family is is very, very welcoming um, and very loving. And um, you know, even the MAG-7 component, we talked about how um, we, you know, the MAG-7 provides a type of service, emergency service and, and um, full service and so on. But the, the reality of it is, is that we, we're never going to turn somebody down that pulls into a pit. It doesn't matter whether you're a member or not. We're going to, we're going to get you through. And, and any of us that have been down to Baja and done desert racing, you, 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 you when you come across an accident, you, you stop and you help people. You don't drive on, you know, you, you get people make sure they're safe. You get them right. You get them ready to go. And then, then you take, then you can take care of yourself. And that's, that's, that's um, very, very much a family thing. That's very much a loving thing to do something like that. And I, I could tell story after story and I know you can too, but uh, from a veteran perspective to get veterans like the ones that warfighter made out and get them uh, racing um, in, or, or chasing or pitting uh, is, is something that, that I think makes a difference in their lives. So I mentioned earlier, I take veterans down to do my pits with me. I always bring one or one or two new ones down there and, 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 and one or two that have been there before when I do pits. Um, and, and so they, they get that experience and they can be part of my off-road family. And, and many of them just keep coming back and love doing it. Like I, I do. And, you know, others, others not there, there's other things. Off-road racing and off-roading is not for everybody. Uh, very true but but it's 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 very important to to guys like you and me and and everybody listening to this i mean i yep although i do i do have to say that uh, i was really surprised we had uh my son was down in in cabo and they were checking into their timeshare at this hotel and the guy that was doing the uh oh you know, helping people book tours and stuff like that was standing off to the side of the reception desk. And when my son said his name, the guy looked over and he goes, are you big rich? And <laughs> my son was like, no, I'm his son. I'm little rich. He goes, oh, you're a little rich. He goes, all my friends, we always listen to his podcast. And uh, my son was just like blown away. And I was too uh-huh. when he told me that. So... Um, if you guys, I don't know their names, but if you guys are listening to this podcast, I, I'm giving a shout out to my, my Cabo friends down there that enjoy listening to the podcast. So <laughs> anyway, that's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing, you know, what happens. Mm, yeah. 
well, my my uh, my my off road nickname kind of has become Admiral Mike because of that Navy tie and the veteran tie that I'm I'm doing. So uh, I, I, I got to make a sh- uh, a shout out. And by the way, for all you off road ra- racers that are veterans, and um, I, I love you being out here, part of my my family, off road family, and for all of you in the off road world that that are, have welcomed us into your family and made us feel like we're we're home and loved and and and, and back. Uh, we, I, I can't thank you enough for that because it makes a difference. But I, can I take a second to talk about the veteran aspect of our sport? Because, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The, the, uh, one of the things that, that struck me uh, over the years is, is once I started learning more about my, my Mag 7 brothers and sisters, about half of the active members are veterans. And a lot of the people that come out and, and support us are veterans also. Um, and, and I and I didn't know until I started digging deeper into the history of our sport. Part of it was me trying to compile the history of Mag Seven. Um, is is that we have such a strong root in 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 our veterans? Um, it, it, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing if the veterans on those small islands in the South Pacific didn't take the jeeps and go racing them around those islands and come back to the U.S. and start start playing with them in the, in the, the, the deserts here in Southern California, and then doing more going out and exploring the deserts and going down to Baja and exploring the deserts. And there's some names in our off-road uh, family that, that, that are founders that we all look up to like Bruce Myers and Jim Kirby and Bill Strop that were veterans that served in, in world war two and, and, or the Korean war and um, brought that love of mechanics and vehicles and stuff back here to the States and, 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 and gave us what we have today. Uh, people don't know that Bruce Myers was, he was a real hero in World War II. He was a sailor on board the USS Bunker Hill, uh, a, a small aircraft carrier that was hit by a kamikaze off of Japan later in the war. And um, he was a lifeguard uh, before he went into the Navy. Um, when when his ship uh, was sinking and they had to abandon the ship, he he gave his life jackets to other sailors. And once he got and he helped them jump off the ship, once they got in the water, he got them together and made sure they were stayed safe until they were picked up. And um, and, um, and and beyond that, once they got to safety on a destroyer, it turns out his ship didn't sink. Um, they needed volunteers to go back on board, and he volunteered or got volunteered to go back on board and ended up. Um, restoring the ship to bring it back to the States so it could uh, could be repaired and, and go back into the fight. Um, and and the same, and, and again, the list goes on. I gave you a couple of other names earlier, but Bruce was really a, a war hero in World War II and then came back and did so much for, for, our, for our off-road family to get us going, um, not just inventing the Myers-Manx, but racing in those early races and and uh, make, making the uh, the sport uh, affordable and fun for all of us so we can keep, go out and keep doing it. Right. Well, that's awesome. And uh, what do you see as the future? If you had a crystal ball, what do you think you'd be seeing? Gosh, it's um, – I had a really in, uh, really fun interaction with, with one of the veterans that was down with me for the Nora Mexican 1000. Just, we just got back a few weeks ago, and, and of course now we're rolling into the Baja 500. But uh, Mag 7 supported the, the Nora Mexican 1000. We did uh, 10 pits of the down the length of the peninsula and, and supported uh, over 100 of the vehicles um, that signed up and raced with us for fuel or, or emergency service. Actually, everybody was, was emergency service for that race. And 
about a hundred or so signed up for fuel. So it's a really busy and really intense race. And um, I love that race because it's like a family reunion and taking veterans down to go race in it is, um, is, is just an extraordinary experience because they start to get that family experience early on. So I was down there with a team of racers for the nonprofit Warfighter Made. We were racing a, uh, what's called a Cuck V. It's a civilian utility vehicle, um, ca- ca- utility cargo vehicle, uh, which was the uh, 19 late or, or it was a 1980s blazer, basically. Chevy Blazer that was painted green and stripped down and used by the military to transport things. So it, it had an M designation. It was called a CUCV. Uh, that was donated to us by, by some guys that had been had pulled it out of uh, uh, defense salvage and had run two of these for a number of years down in the Norway. So they gave it to us last Mexican 1000. So we worked on it, restored it. We took it down ourselves and raced it. So we're having an eventful race, but I'm sitting in Bahia, Los Angeles, with the founder of Warfighter Made, he's a, uh, his name's Rob Blanton. He's a, a retired Force Recon Marine uh, Master Sergeant, Silver Star recipient, suicide survivor, and um, he's our one of our one of our two primary drivers for this race. And the other driver is a medically retired Sergeant Danny Navoa. Um, there, I'm sitting with them in Bahia, Los Angeles. We just had an eventful race and of course we're starting at the back of the pack so we have time to have breakfast or in a little hotel right on the the bayfront in Bahia, los angeles and um my back's to the bay and rob's sitting across from me at the table and and the table empties and we're everybody's starting to get ready to get the vehicle down to the to, to the to the start line for for day for day uh, three out of Bahia, los angeles that rally style race and um my my friend Curtis Wagner, who typically goes down with me for the Mag 7 Pits, is my right hand. I'm pit captain. He's my right hand. And then we have a number of people that work with us to get things done. But Kurt's been my partner forever. He stands up. We've been talking about the way things had been. And Curtis says, well, it was better 25 years ago. And uh, walk, walks away. And Rob, the table's quiet. And everybody starts to leave to go take care of things they needed to do. And Rob looks at me and says, um, he, he, Mike, I, I, what did, what did, what did Curtis mean by that? And I said, well, you're, you're gonna have to ask, ask Curtis that. I've got my opinions. Why I, I agree with him. I think things were better 25 years ago. Of course, as much as things are different, they, they don't change either. It's very much the same. I said, well, why do you ask, Rob? And he said, well, Mike, I can see myself, the old guy sitting in your chair 25 years from now, and some young guy is going to be sitting in my chair, and I'm going to say something like, it was better 25 years ago. <laughs> I just want I just want to, I want to hear what you think so I can answer properly when I when he when when I get asked the same question. So that long story I just told you is to me is sort of the the what I see for the future. I, I see young younger people stepping up and getting involved. So whether they're 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 buying that UTV on their credit card and coming out and racing in the stock you naturally ask what do UTV naturally aspirated utv class are going out and pitting or chasing you know they're they're the future of the sport you know if they find what we found years ago that love of the desert and the love of being in our off-road family and they keep coming out uh, mag 7 will be alive for another 50 years we we celebrated our 50th birthday a few years ago just like the the the, the nora and mexican 1000 the score baja 1000 celebrated their 50th you know mag 7 has been around that long 
and I can see us being around 50 years from now. And I, and certainly 25 years from now, there's going to be some old guy sitting in, at, a, at a table in Los Angeles saying it was better 25 years ago. And somebody else is going to say, younger is going to say, what do you mean by that? It's, I, I, I can see that happening and I can see, see the, see, I can see a bright future for off-roading and off-road racing and, and doing this in Baja, despite all the changes that are happening. Cause as much as things change, they still are very much the same. I truly hope that that's, that is what happens. I, I, I don't know. Um, I hate to, I hate to, I'm glad nobody has asked me, you know, what the future is. If I was looking at that crystal ball, I have no idea. Um, I must admit that, uh, more and more and more, I, I'm, uh, I'm saddened with the way things are going, but mm-hmm. I know that eventually things will swing back and and become, I don't know, different again. You might say. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, like as I said earlier, as much as things change things stay the same and, and I, I look at the score races and the Nora races down in Baja and you know whether whether you have the score mindset where you're just racing all the way down or it's the Nora mindset where you're doing it more rally style and you actually get transits where you where you're on the highway for a period of time. Uh, both races you have to transit. You can't get there from here anymore unless you get on a paved road in Baja because the accessible roads the trails now are highways or paved roads. Right. And and you, you just have to go on them. So um, it it's all about finding a way to fit what we love into into the world, the changing world. You know, if we have to transit on a highway and transit safely, and you know, we're being tracked by satellites now, and there's, they're going to the satellites know if we go off course or we're speeding or something like that. They're keeping us safe and honest. To be honest with you, um, as much as things change. Um, they're still going to be there and we'll still be out racing. I think because there's so much value to that. There's so much love in the off-road community. There's so much excitement about going out and doing what we do and off-road, off-road and off-road racing. We're just going to find a way to keep doing it. Um, it's too important to not do it. I also look at things on the, in the bright side. I mean, I wouldn't probably have done what I did in the Navy for as long as I did. If I didn't truly believe it in my whole heart that, you know, I'm there, I'm there making the world a better place and everybody I'm serving with it, we're there to make the world a better place. And I think that's something that is different about American warriors as compared to a lot of other countries and around the world. We, we, we serve for a higher calling, a, a bigger purpose. And, and, and um, I do believe that. And I believe uh, uh, general people are, are good and we're going to keep moving in a good direction. Well, keep those things we love in our lives, like off-roading and off-road racing. There you go. I know I'm going to. And uh, with, uh, you know, with some of my family, same thing. You know, they're 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 involved. So it's uh, it's important. Mike, I'm going to say thank you so much. I, I think that was a great segue and transition into uh, into into a final comment here. And so um, again, I want to say thank you so much for for spending the time and talking about your history and MAG-7's history. And hopefully, you know, if we can get uh, get together again and maybe bring in somebody, you know, like you were saying, some of those guys in their 90s that uh, if they're capable of, uh, of having a conversation, you know, even in short segments, I would love to try to put something together. 
Uh, oh, I, I, I'll, I'll work to organize something like that. I, I know there's three of the original Mag Severn members near me here. In o I live in Oceanside, uh, in the San Diego area now. Um, I will pay a visit on those three and, and see if I can work something up. We may have to get creative on how we do it, but I'll try and work something up because I'd love to hear their perspective. It's got to, we got to document it. Right. I know we've, when you look at what's happened with our military veterans and there's been a huge effort to document that history before it's gone. And it really is gone. I mean, we don't have a lot of world war two vets left. We don't have a lot of Korean war vets left and we're quickly losing the Vietnam vets. Um, you know, we, we need to, we really need to document more of our, of our off-road history, which, but which, by the way, thank you for what you're doing for Ormhoff, doing these podcasts and helping compile history because it's we we gotta we gotta remember, honor, and remember our 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 history. Um, can I can I add one last thing before Absolutely. we political? Yeah. So for for those anybody listening to this, it's a, a veteran, and you you feel like you want to be part of the, the veteran family again or the military family again, and, and keep off-road. And maybe you keep the off-roading and off-road racing part of it in your lives. Uh, the nonprofit I'm involved in when in uh, in Temecula is called Warfighter Made. Um, look us up, uh, contact us by the web, give us a call, send us a text, send us an email, and we we'd love to have you in our family. Um, the the uh, the motto is adapt, inspire, overcome, and and um, we we do spend a lot of our effort, most of our effort trying to make sure that our more damaged vets can continue to do the things they love just because you're missing a leg. You don't, doesn't mean you can't ride a motorcycle and race in the mid 400. You just have to find a way to do it differently. So whether it's the, the, the psychological damage or the physical damage, or, or if you're healthy and you don't need it, any, uh, you know, any, any, any of that, and you just want to be part of that family again, we're, we're there for you. So look us up. Um, and, and, and become part of it. And I'd love to spend some time with you in the desert. Excellent. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. And, um, let's, uh, let's try to continue this on with, uh, with the history. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Out All here. right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.